Hallo und willkommen bei der Outdoor Show in Friedrichshafen. You're listening to a download from the outdoorstation.co.uk. Number 374. Hello and welcome back to this the second in a special three-part series produced directly after the 2014 Outdoor Show held in Friedrichshafen, Germany, July the 10th to the 13th. We've got a reasonable selection of interviews for you relating to new products, new brands, some advice and breaking news, which I'm sure will be of interest to many. If you need pictures or video to help you get a better insight, then please visit the outdoorstation.co.uk website for links, images and so on. Plus, of course, we have a video from the show on there, uh, which is also on YouTube, which will show you some of the highlights and take a closer look at some of the products mentioned within these podcasts. It was good to visit and get a bigger picture of the industry from a European perspective and see what trends were developing, as well as discussing with key players where the UK currently stands within this landscape. However, without further ado, let's get on with the show and delve into some interviews recorded just a few days ago in Friedrichshafen. The larger titanium-based brands were in attendance, of course. However, very few of them had anything of note or fresh by way of design or innovation using this exciting material. So, of course, it was doubly good to see the familiar and friendly face in the shape of Brian Vargo on his stand, not only showing new products fresh off the production line, but also leading the way with some innovation. Visitors were able to see and feel some titanium goodies, which, up until now, they never, never knew they really, really wanted. Brian, love to see you again at Friedrichshafen. Uh, is this the second or third time you've been here now? Uh, this is the second time that I've exhibited. Uh, it was in 2008, so I had to take a break for a while, but yeah. I did make it back. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> well, lovely to see you here again, and especially when you have a, a handful of new products to, to talk about as well. So um, what I'd like you to do is um, tell me a bit more. Okay. Uh, well, the first product I'm going to talk about is called a Funnel Flask. Uh, so this is a, a basic hip flask. It holds 8 ounces. Um, one of the problems with uh, hip flask is that they're very difficult to fill. Uh, so the hole in the top, usually uh, other flasks out there will have a, f- a separate funnel. Uh, but what I decided to do was to uh, develop a design that we could actually integrate the, uh, a funnel into the top. And okay, what I'll do is I'm going to stop you there because okay. you missed one word out in that entire introduction, okay. which is the thing that's going to excite people most of all. Okay. The word titanium. Titanium. <laughs> so, so let's just start okay. that again. With, right. This is a titanium hip flask. Okay, titanium hip, hip flask. That's, that's the, I can hear them now getting very excited about this. <laughs> okay. And what the, what the capacity is, and then we'll, we'll tell me okay. about the funnel. Okay, so the capacity is 8 ounces, mm-hmm. uh, and the funnel is made of silicone. Okay. And uh, it's in, right now it's in the uh, down position, So it, uh, but when you fold it up, and out like this, uh, you, you can actually use it as a funnel to fill the flask more easily, and you don't spill the alcohol. Uh, Last thing. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> People are listening to this now right. very, very closely. Yeah, so, yeah. so we're talking about a silicon uh, funnel, which funnel. is actually sort of... Uh, integrated. Integrated over the top of the external part yeah. of the, the neck, right? Uh, so we, and it flips up. Yeah, so we elongated the neck just slightly mm-hmm. to accommodate the funnel, so it would have enough room to fold down and also to pop up. Uh, when you want to use it as a funnel. Okay. okay. Uh, and then when you're done drinking, uh, mm-hmm. what you would do is you use the same funnel as a spout to pour it back into your 
uh, alcohol bottle. I, I'm sorry, so, I, I don't. I, no, I don't know anybody <laughs> that, that has any left. <laughs> that has any left in, yeah. my, in my circles. They would okay. drink it straight out of the funnel. Right. But I mean, you, basically, you can drink it out of the hip flask without right. the funnel. And the nice part is that the funnel is against your lips, so right. it's silicon against lips as opposed to right, titanium. Right, and it's the same kind of silicone that you would use, like in a, a baby's bottle. Right. So it's not. There's no chemicals. Nothing to worry about. Uh, nothing is harmful. It's very safe. Okay, and of course, the other thing that's really important to people, especially if they put thirty pounds worth of twelve-year-old uh, malt in there, <laughs> is uh, is obviously the the uh, the cap, the screw yeah, there. Yeah. So uh, that is a positive fit that goes down and seals it completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a little rubber gasket at the top, and so when you screw it on, it screws on tight. Um, you know, it's a fairly traditional design for the cap. Um, so it won't leak or have any issues. Okay. And do we have a, a weight for this? Uh, the weight is four ounces. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the retail price, obviously, in America? Uh, it's $75 retail. Lovely. Lovely. I can yeah. see that being popular, especially as Christmas starts getting very close. Yeah. Lovely. Well, uh, I can I can understand people being very excited about that. You've, you've covered a few key points there. It's yeah. nice design yeah. beautifully made I have to say actually oh, when I've looked at you. hip flasks whatever they're made from whether mm. they're made stainless or whatever uh, the, the actual seals on it are usually sort of obvious right but you can hardly see the the construction of that at all oh, thank you yeah well I mean we just purchased an auto welding machine which helps with the uh, the, the seam and uh, to be very you know clean and, and very professional looking yeah it's lovely it's a lovely finish excellent yeah thank you okay so what else have you got for us okay uh, so the next product is uh, trail running spikes for winter mm-hmm. uh, I personally do a lot of trail running and uh, I the, the spikes that I use are very heavy very bulky and uh, for running you know you really need to have some the, the lightest possible spikes uh, for winter and so I wanted to design uh, a new product for specifically for trail running in the winter time um, so I know you can't see this on the radio but uh, there are two legs that fold up and down uh, and it becomes very very compact and it has a, a, a travel case so that if you uh, come to an area where there is no snow and you want to take them off, it's n- you can put it, you know, fold them up and put them into the travel case, and it doesn't take up a lot of space in your hip belt or whatever you're uh, using to carry your, you know, your water and so forth. Um, so this this weighs about 40 grams, about 1.5 ounces. Um, so super lightweight. Uh, any of the other running spikes that are out there are probably five times heavier than this. Um, so that's really was my goal to help me to be able to run faster when I'm in these competitions in trail running. Uh, and so uh, so that's what we came up with. Okay, well, we've, we've just had a conversation about these, and, and we can certainly see that um, the marketplace probably in, in the UK and, and probably mainland Europe, really, right. uh, would probably be for people using approach shoes or trail shoes in right. icy and snow conditions. Right. Uh, it's certainly uh, it's beautifully light, as you say. Probably about three, four inches long by about inch and a half uh, as a as a rectangle. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's designed specifically to work with running shoes, trail shoes, whatever. It won't right. work with boots. Yeah. So uh, trail running shoes or really any running shoe. Um, if you look at the bottom of them, the the sole it, it's kind of in a curved shape on both sides. So the way that we integrated the straps to hold the spikes in place. Uh, it's really designed to work with that kind of shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was like a hiking boot where you don't have that curve, yeah. uh, it's not going to stay in place as well. So, so it really is a specific. It's not. It's not for hiking. It's. It's truly uh, trail running 
is the, the purpose of this, which in the U.S., I know we talked before, but it, uh, trail running, even in the winter, has become very, very popular. Okay, okay. well, I can see, uh, even though you haven't designed it for hiking, yeah. I can see a lot of uh, U.K.-based people using yeah. it as winter hiking, yeah. certainly. Yeah. Certainly, but a be- and again, um, um, price on this one, of course, U.S.? Uh, these, these are for a pair. It will be uh, $70, 70 U.S. US. Yeah. Lovely, okay. Uh, well, finally, the, the piece de la resistance, <laughs> the one that everybody's been talking about and you've uh, I've just had a try on and got very excited about, is uh, the new rucksack with the external yeah. titanium frame. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of uh, revitalizing uh, a very old concept. Mm. Um, so most of the, the external frames that are out there are very heavy uh, and they don't really support the weight over your hips very well. So what I wanted to do is create a titanium external frame that would support the weight uh, and transfer the weight, I should say, to your hips properly. Um, so I, we actually, I actually created a, a lumbar plate here at the bottom um, that when you try the pack on, uh, it transfers that weight you know, where you want it, which is around your hips. And it's not, you're not constantly trying to pull up the backpack. A lot of lightweight, uh, ultra-lightweight packs you know, lack a frame. So inevitably, you're, you're lifting it up, lifting it up, trying to get it off your, your butt <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because right. it, it continually sags. So that's yeah. the purpose of the lumbar plate is to keep it in place. Okay. Um, the other thing about an external frame, uh, you know, in principle, how they work is the weight is suspended from the top bar. That's the primary difference between an internal frame and an external frame. So if you pack an internal frame, they always tell you pack the heavy things to the top. Okay, an external frame, the nice feature about it and why people say they carry so well is because the, the weight is actually suspended from that bar. So it, by default, the weight is, is higher up and carries a load better, more comfortably for hiking. Now, obviously, if you're scrambling around rocks or if you're rock climbing, you're not going to want a full you know, external frame like this. But for, for hiking and just carrying the weight on the trail, an external frame works really well in that regard. Okay, well, I mean, there's a lot of key features that, that are associated with external frames, which you've brought back to life, which is yeah. you've got maximum adjustability on the actual yeah. harness itself. Uh, so it's able to take a, a huge range of, of backs, back lengths. Yeah. Uh, and certainly, as you say, the, the, the lumbar support, uh, I'm trying to explain this verbally is quite difficult because you've, if you take, for example, a t- typical H frame mm-hmm. uh, that we're probably looking at, obviously with a few more bars across, but a H-style frame, the lumbar support actually pr- projects forward or forward into your back, as it were, right. which allows you that padded area, which then also means that you get the airflow through the back system as well. Right. Yeah, and, and that's one thing we had discussed. I know a lot of the external frames, uh, that you, the older style, they always have a curved bar at the top. Mm-hmm. And, and often have a curved bar at the, on the side. But because of the lumbar plate, we are actually able to not have to curve the bar. And actually keeping it straight, it, it transfers the load uh, straighter you know, down into your hips where it should be without having to curve it. So it's a, you know, one of the, another, another great feature about this pack. Well, I know you've the first order of these has, has been shipping very, very fast for you yeah. in, the, in the U.S. and you're sort of halfway through your stock. Were you a bit nervous about bringing yeah. an external frame system to the yeah. media in the in the U.S.? Yeah, um, actually, when I first introduced the uh, external frame uh, and a new design within external frame, I know I talked to uh, um, you know a lot of different people and. You know, most people said I haven't seen any innovation within an external frame for probably the past 20 years. So I'm trying to bring it back, which is not an easy task because for the past 
20-some years, people have you know, promoted the internal frame, and, and most of the major manufacturers put their uh, effort in design and, and so forth in an internal frame. So me and, and you know, my company trying to bring back an external frame, I've always known that it was going to be not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, with the, the features that it has, I think that an external frame has been overlooked for a very long time. Uh, I know when you talk to people that have used an external frame, they all, most of the people say that they love it, but you know, it just hasn't been anything new. Uh, n- most of the manufacturers don't use the new materials, uh, obviously not titanium, so it's a super lightweight pack. It has you know, some added features that mm-hmm. traditional external frames don't have. So for people who do like an external frame, it's kind of external frame on steroids. <laughs> you know, it has yeah, a lot yeah. more going on than just a regular traditional pack. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, the external frame manufacturers that's still doing the the traditional frame in the yeah. traditional way. Of right. course, you've got the traditional problems that go with it. Sure. So, so you brought something new here and developed it. I yeah. mean, how how heavy is the frame itself? Uh, the frame is about this new frame mm-hmm. uh, is about six ounces. It's incredible. <laughs> Which is, yeah, it's very very light. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the plans for 2015 is, is a variety of uh, presumably external bags that, yeah. that, that will clip onto the frame. Right. Uh, can you give me an idea just roughly of the sort of sizes and what the materials that's going to be made from? Yeah. Uh, so the, the next uh, backpack that we will have in production will be a Cuban fiber version of uh, the bag. And eventually, you know, we've had a lot of input already from the first round. Mm. And so based on that, we'll think about you know, uh, different styles of the bag. A lot of people have commented, and you know, uh, so potentially we could extend the bag to the bottom, making it all, uh, you know, so that there's multiple compartments and things like that. Um, so it, it's always difficult to make everyone happy. Mm. <laughs> but well, uh, going a long way towards it. I mean, the yeah. actual bag that you've got in the current model at the moment, right. so 30, 35 liters? Uh, it's 36 liters. 36 liters, yeah. okay. And that still leaves you, what, six inches at the bottom to... To, to put a bear canister or a sleeping bag or whatever you want. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the bottom line is that it's actually been really well received. It has been really well received. I mean, it, it is uh, something that is, uh, you know, it definitely takes time. Um, but I think that we've done, you know, as far as sales go, we've, we've sold a lot of them and we've had a lot of really good feedback. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm very happy with it. And, uh, and, and, and uh, we were talking earlier, I, I typically design products that I want for me. And so fortunately, other people that are like-minded, <laughs> they generally will like it as well. Excellent. So, uh, yeah, yeah, so it's been, we have, I've been very fortunate with it. Well, well, it's been lovely to see you again and certainly nice to see the development, particularly the titanium hip flask. Yeah. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, obviously, this back in the next generation in the UK and yeah. seeing how the UK market takes it. Well, thank you. I appreciate the interview. Find out how easy it is to subscribe to all our free programmes. Visit our website at theoutdoorstation.co.uk or look us up on Facebook. You may remember a few years back, Vibram launched their unusual but now very popular product Five Fingers, a running camp and casual shoe based on the principles of barefoot running and close contact with the terrain. This shoe had individual toe shapes cut into the whole shoe, giving it a very unique and, in some cases, colourful look. This time they were launching another eye-catching product, Vibram Furushuki Concept Shoes, a very clever one-piece wrap-around casual shoe, ideal for casual and campwear after a long hard day in boots, as Ricardo Aragona from Vibram explains. 
based on a Japanese art called furoshiki. It's the Japanese art of holding a wrapping object with the, with the fabric. We have developed the shoes following that kind of technical arts. So as a Vibra, we make soles. We are the leader producers of soles on, in the world. So we have decided to apply that kind of arts, the furoshiki arts, on a sole. The result is this, actually a sole that is wrapping the feet. As you can see from the bottom, you have a Vibron sole that allows you to walk on any kind of surfaces. And if you turn, the upper part is a very is composed by a stretch fabric. It is actually covers you and wrapping your feet and ensure the clothes with two pieces of Velcro. Okay, so it's it's a it's where where is the market? First of all, let's ask that. What is the marketplace for the shoe? The marketplace we want um, just positioning the, the 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 product in a fashion and cash and dress. Uh, Dress and casual segments. Okay. That's where we want to. So, so we're talking uh, from an outdoor perspective. We're talking a camp shoe, a relaxation shoe. Exactly. This is not an active shoe, not, not an activity it, shoe. Exactly. It's not an active shoes. What we suggested, uh, one of the other concepts behind was to create a shoes that was easy to carry when you travel. So it's a travel shoes. You can easily put in a backpack because it's very light and very flexible. And it's perfect if you're camping and you need to relax your feet after a long walk with big boots. All right? You can usually put it as a, as a very easy on way, of, way to wear it. So you can easily put it on your feet and relax your feet and walk in through a camp. Just make sure you don't expect too much of a performance out of the shoes because it's just for simple walking. Okay. We've been discussing a moment ago about uh, customers potentially using this for river crossings, uh, and you said it's not really designed for that exactly. sort of purpose. Obviously, it's a very thin sole as well, so you're going to be a lot of contact with the, the contours of the ground, yeah? Yeah, exactly. The whole concept is that it's to stay as close as the earth as you can be in order to feel what's under your feet, in order to stay more in contact with the nature. Okay. From a protection point of view, obviously you have a toe, uh, toe section, a toe rand, is that the correct exactly, term? Exactly. And also a heel protection as well. Yes. Uh, the sides of the shoe are the wraparound fabric. It's a stretch fabric. Yes. It's all made by um, one piece of rubber that is actually injected or applied on a piece of fabric. Right, so the whole thing is a stretchy, exactly. stretchy it's item, all, like a big elastic band. Exactly, so it's, it's all very stretchy, and obviously one of the other concepts was to make it like a multi-size shoes with one size. Basically, now with one shoes you can cover at least two sizes. Okay. Now it goes from 37, 38 for, for a woman, for females, up to 43, 44 for men. Okay. Now I can see from the display here it comes in a whole variety of, uh, of, of pleasant colours for all yes. sorts of tastes. Exactly. So the way we wanted to present in the shop is having like a, a bag that you can open. You already have all the shoes presented in, a, in the five colours that we have made for the, for the first uh, time. And all developed from XS, XO small up to large. So that's the way you're going to see it in the shop. Lovely. And so the size range that you're doing, is there a different shape of foot for the female and the male, or it's a no. universal, you're sort of it's unisex? Universe. Yeah, one of the other, that was saying, the multi-size is one of the base concepts for us, was to make a shoes that we could easily be wear by any kind of feet. Okay. As okay. you were saying, we had a lot of experience about feet, thanks to the Vibram Five Finger experience. We have, de you know, we have developed a few 
uh, know-how about how to wear, how to make a shoes that could wear any kind of feet. And Furoshiki is very suitable to any kind of feet. Okay. Uh, just so we can finish up on this before we talk about something else, um, is the material used very quick drying if it gets wet? Exactly. It's very quick dry. It's washable in a washing machine. Okay. So it's easy and it's perfect to travel around. Okay. So even if you get dirty, if you walk around and you, you sweat with your feet, mm-hmm. you just easily put in a washing machine, you wash it at 30 degrees, and then you dry it at here. Smashing. Uh, and then the final thing would be uh, the weight. Uh, the availability and the price point when it arrives in the UK. So the availability would be from next spring summer 2015, which means delivering the shots between February and March 2015. Sellout price would be around 99 euro. Okay, and do you actually have a weight for the the shoes? How, how heavy they are to carry? Uh, actually, we don't have any particular details about that. That's another very important point. We're not trying to give matches the technical details on the shoes because you don't want the consumer to get confused okay. and considering the shoes too, too technical. Okay. We want the consumer to buy because you see there is a sure that he has a vibrant sole so he's protected. Uh-huh. But he, he, he can also mostly he can buy because he likes it. Okay. So really it's a casual shoe for, exactly. for resting the feet after, after exercise. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Now you were saying that uh, earlier on that your soles now are being used all over the world by different yes. manufacturers and you've got designers designing soles all yeah. the time. We have now, at the moment, we have more than a thousand brands actually using our component, which has been, you know, the sole. Up from the outdoor, to the sports, to dress and casual, to the military segment, to the safe and rescue segment, which is a very big segment for us. Um, Vibram has a free measure branch. The headquarter is in Italy, uh, where everything was born in 1937. Vibram was born in 1937. And then we have one of the biggest branches in Vibram USA. It's based in Boston, just outside Boston in Concord. And the other one is in Guangzhou, in China. That's where we have the free branches. And everybody's taking care of uh, some part of the project between um, develop, research and developing, designing, and putting on the market and sales. We have now, we have daily, we have more than 16 designers working daily on just on the design of the sole. Wow. Just yes. on the design. So much goes into it. Then. Yeah, there's so much going. Yeah, exactly. That we really we're taking care of the design as as much as we're taking care of compounds. Mm-hmm. Vibram has is, is became very famous, very popular because we actually we produce our compound. Okay. We have the, the the ability to develop and use different ingredients ingredients in uh, just to and uh, just to yeah exactly to afford the needs. Of, of our you know partners okay yes Super. and and uh, last time we were here uh, we, we came to the stand and we were talking about the launch of the of the of the five toes there yeah um, have they been received really well over the last few years yeah yeah, yeah. Vibram five fingers like is uh, is like is for us is it's always been like a dream for us because i mean you can you imagine which was the first reaction of the market when we put the the first shoes on a planet and a history with five toes we had people saying as we were crazy. They say, no, no, don't do that. You're going to waste money, credibility, blah, blah, blah. Believe it or not, now we're selling more than 4 million pairs 
of even five fingers. Is there a, is there a, um, a generalization about the popularity of those products in the States or Europe or yeah, Asia? Let's or? say at the moment is everything was uh, became became uh, began here in Italy mm-hmm. as a as a study and as a developing of the shoes. They moved to the United States where we sell in free season from two hundred thousand pairs up to one million one and a half million in free season. And then now everything is going is is coming to Europe. Now the best market that we have is U- UK, Germany, and uh, and Spain. These are the three best in France. This is in French. They are just uh, the the four best, biggest market, and it's growing very fast because, and it's a very consolidated market. What we like is that what we is a very good feedback is that all the customers been buying five fingers. We had we done a study on ten people's been buying five fingers. Eight of them are still using and buying new pairs, which is a great result for us. We know there is a very neat market, mm-hmm. it's a very technical sports market, but it's good that you know eight or ten, eight out of ten people are still buying and using five fingers and asking for more product. any feedback, questions or suggestions, why not drop us a line either on Facebook or directly to our email address, info at theoutdoorstation.co.uk. The home of UK-based audio and video podcasts for outdoors people everywhere. Acknowledgement that cycle users are still an important part of the outdoor market was a bit thin on the ground at the show. However, there were a few touring equipment offerings and a handful of interesting cycles and scooters in the outside areas for visitors to try. Of course, Ortlib was the largest equipment supplier in this arena, and their new, more colourful approach to their traditional panniers certainly brought attention to their stand. They are also introducing a very upmarket commuter range, which will be popular with urban business travellers, I'm sure, who want all the features that Ortlip offers, but with more slick business styling. As Martin Curtin, Ortlib brand manager, explains. Basically, the pannier range um, is not actually physically changing in terms of design. Um, the, it's some new colour palettes for, for next year. Um, so we're seeing a lot more brighter colours sort of going with the way the market is going in terms of clothing and things like that so all of us obviously identified that and want to sort of yeah, increase, the, increase the, uh, the colour range of the product um, so that's mainly happening in the uh, plus series of panniers so the Cordura fabric um, in the classic um, fabric they seem to be saying the same the blacks, the reds, those type of colours which are our best sellers Okay, so if we can just uh, backtrack slightly then. So the mm. classic range is the PVC yep. finish in, in three different colours. Yep. Uh, this new colourway is, is, is definitely more colourful, but it's mm. not intense, it's not vibrant. Yes. Uh, and so it's much more akin to current trends, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, now, the actual technicality of, the, of, the, of this new range, does it have the same performance, same weight as the classic range? Yeah, the, the plus is slightly lighter um, and also beneficial if you're environmentally conscious um, obviously the PVC is an oil based uh, material there's chemicals used to make that whereas the Cordura is, is, is PVC free so if you are sort of concerned and about the environment um, you'd go for the plus pannier um, the weight is, is minimal it's maybe 50 grams for the pair so you're not saving a massive amount 
Um, but in terms of durability, um, tear resistance, they're very, very close. Very similar. Very similar. It's got this, I mean, it's got a nice urban look to it as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you sling that over your shoulder, you can take it off the bike. It, it's it's going to fit really well. Yeah. Now, you were saying there's um, new features, new fittings, or an updated fitting on the actual yeah. Pannier rack system. This is for people who obviously are perhaps uh, all the customers already and, and mm-hmm. uh, would like to see some improvements. There's sure. just been looked at, I understand. Yeah, so this this system now, the originally used to have the uh, uh, QL1 and QL2. Where QL means quick lock, which is an Ortley patent for um, dropping the pannier onto the rack. So it's a quick release system. Um, the quick lock one and quick lock two has now disappeared, and now we have the quick lock two point one. <laughs> Just about to confuse you. Two point one. So this is a single bar on the top uh, instead of being in three pieces as it used to be. So it's a lot stronger. Also, as well, the the key thing is probably the inserts, which went into the hooks to reduce the diameter of the rack. So you reduce them of the hooks and then go onto the rack. Okay. They used to come from uh, underneath. You'd flick them in underneath. But they're our best-selling spare. Spare. Because over time they would, rack, they would, they would uh, get loose and fall out. Okay. Um, but now they've made them so they come in from the side. So they'd be less likely to fall out um, of, of, the, uh, of the hooks. Is this, is this uh, sliding system new? Or is yeah. That, so no, this, the, no, again, uh, this, is, this, this sliding system is on the QL2 version. So this is basically, obviously, you just get that up and you can you can move the hooks depending on where you want the bag on the rack, especially for like hill clearance and obviously there's lots of racks on the market and they've all got different frames, different shapes. Different yeah, shapes. Sure, yeah. So that can be moved up and down the rail and positioned where you like. Excellent. And that's almost okay. also beneficial as well if you've got two bikes and you want to swap from one bike to another one yeah. day, you can easily adjust the uh, just yeah. the hooks accordingly. Very quick system that, yeah. Yeah. And on the on the lower rail, uh, what they've done is they've added a softer plastic on top of the uh, normal plastic because they were getting, uh, especially people using their bags a lot or long distance touring, commuting, um, they would find the wear points on the rack where just constantly rubbing away. So they put this softer plastic uh, on the lower rail so that will prevent um, uh, any rubbing onto the rack. Lovely. Okay, and you said now there's a the, the front bag is also fits the back bag, but not many people know that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's um yeah. So they've sort of, again sort of shot themselves in the foot a little bit when calling it the front roller, right. because people perceive it. Oh, we can only go on the front on the front rack. Whereas no, it's fine if you want a smaller bag uh, or smaller pair of bags. The, the the front roller will easily fit onto onto a rear rack as well. It's also good for uh, sort of uh, bikes with smaller wheels, like Bromptons folding bikes. Obviously, the the wheels are low to the ground, so you need a smaller pannier. Okay. So yeah, if you don't want the a 20 litre pannier or 40 litres for the pair you can you can go for a 25 litre pair ok so it's a 25 litre for that pair and 40 litre 40 litre for the back rollers now has that um, that fitting system always been the same or is this this new generation that allowed to fit front and rear yes yeah, fitting system has always been yeah so the new generation yeah, it's always been the same so even with the current range for this year uh-huh. um, the front rollers will fit so it's, it's, it's the same across the board, basically. Okay. So if we move away slightly from the from the classic and uh, the sort of the updated colour range for that, I see mm-hmm. that across the stand here we've got a, an urban line, mm-hmm. which looks, I have to say, very very corporate, very nice, uh, yes. and I can see this doing well in in, in the cities and in London and so on. Yeah. So so yeah, we uh, we saw this at the um, the meeting. We we didn't really have any idea of what they're going to be doing, and we saw, we saw it when we walked in the room. We were like, oh, okay. Um, so they're sort of going. For, Sort of trying to get into that sort of yeah that urban that fashion look as opposed to sort of yeah sort of the, the hardcore tourers and the dry bags and the adventure people I suppose mm-hmm. so they're trying to sort of tap into a different market um, so they again so they with their, with their uh, history of and contacts of uh, great fabric suppliers they found this um, fabric which they can be coated on the inside so from the outside it hasn't got the normal waterproof look mm-hmm. um, of, of the panniers 
um, but it is still fully waterproof product because it is the, the fabric is coated on the inside. So they've done a range of, um, sort of shoulder bags, uh, all different sizes, all nice features inside. So there'll be plenty of pockets in there. So just right for carrying your iPad or yeah, laptop? Yeah, iPad, and... pens, documents, files. Okay. So there's lots of dividers inside, lots of zip pockets. Oh, so, nice. yeah, yeah. Um, and they've done, they've done two versions where you've got one will just be a shoulder bag. Mm-hmm. And they also have one which works with a, uh, another one of their fitting systems, which is called the Quick Lock 3. Right. So it's a flush system where the actual mounting points for the for the bag actually are permanently on the rack. So you fix fix the um, quick lock three system onto the rack. Mm-hmm. So then that means on the bag they can have a flush system on here. So when you're taking the bag off the bike and you have it on your shoulders, it's not the hooks aren't going to be rubbing into your into, into your leg into your clothing. So, yeah. but I mean it does look like a, a well a very upmarket briefcase, doesn't it? And yes. uh, as you say, with minimum uh, fittings on the back. Uh, that's going to, I'm sure, appeal to a lot of people that, as you say, commute mm-hmm. London, want to dump the bike and then uh, and yeah. then carry on walking exactly. to the office. Um, the the material sort of uh, quite textured on the outside. Mm-hmm. Does does the outer material hold water at all? Does it absorb? No, water? it will. It will. Um, I say, yeah. It's again. It has that look of you think, oh, it's going to soak the water in. But no, if you poured a glass of water on this now, you'd see it just just drain off. Excellent. Like water yeah. for ducks back. <laughs> Excellent. As, as Autlib is, yeah, is well known for. <laughs> but I mean, you've got a full range here, haven't you? You've got the sort of traditional pannier looking shape of the classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got some briefcase, you've got sort of uh, shoulder courier bags, and then you've got uh, smaller items here, right down to, well, I'd say like a large purse. Yeah, almost. large purse size, yeah. Um, so the large purse size, yeah. So again, this, this has got a mount as well for a bar bag. So you can you can fit this onto the front of the rack. Uh, sorry, front of your handlebars, mm-hmm. as well as having a, obviously a very nice small, small shoulder bag as well at the same time. So, like I say, yeah, they've looked at obviously looked at the market and they've gone through. They've not just gone in there with one design bag; they've gone in with a, a full range, uh, yeah. starting from quite a large bag down to, like you say, the sort of purse, yeah. purse size bag. So, there's plenty of choice there for the, for the consumer. And uh, colour-wise, uh, I think you're calling them pepper and coffee. So, it's mm-hmm. a, a light grey and, and a light brown, which is yep. very attractive. Um, do you happen to know the sort of price range we're talking about for these compared to the uh, the classic range? Um, yeah, they're going to be a bit more expensive, but again, I wouldn't com- com- compare them to the panniers because they're a completely different kettle, kettle of fish, really. Okay. Um, so, in terms of pricing, um, like for the pannier, for example, this is actually going to be sold singly because commuters tend to, you see commuters, they tend to use one bag, they don't tend to. Yeah. Well, right there. This is going to be 70 euros, that's going to be about sort of 60, 65 pounds, which is a little bit more than if you bought a single classic bag. Okay. But obviously, you're paying. You're paying for the fabric. It's obviously a more expensive fabric, mm-hmm. and it's more expensive to coat as well. So there's a bit more work going into the manufacture of the fabric, which makes it a little bit more expensive. And uh, can we just take, for example, the um, the briefcase-looking one and, and the purse, just to give people yeah. an idea? Yeah. So the briefcase one is called the commuter bag. Um, in the quick lock free version, which I explained earlier, um, there's a 14 litre, which would be around 130 pounds. And there's a 19 litre one, which would be about 140 pounds. Okay. And then going to the other end of the scale, the smaller bags. Yeah, so they call this one the Velo Pocket. Um, it's only two and a half litres, but it is going to be around 60, 65 pounds. So quite a bit of money for a small bag. Mm. But um, like I say, there was a lot, gone a lot of work uh, gone, into the, gone into the design of these. Okay. And so the final question, of course, is when they're going to be released uh, and we'll see them in the UK. Um, hopefully by so January, February. We will get them into the UK, and then we can start obviously sending them out to send them out to the retailers. 
That was the second part in our three-part series, recorded at the recent outdoor show in Friedrichshafen, with one more to follow. And my thanks go to all the guests for taking their time to talk at Outdoor this year. It was good to see the ebb and flow of the industry and try and spot a few trends as they weave their way onto the retail floor. Of course, if you're seeking more information, photos or video of some of the products mentioned here, then please visit the Outdoor Station website, where you will find various website links and information where I have it. Don't forget, there is an accompanying video, which is also on the website, as well as on the YouTube channel, where you might get a bit more flavour than words can describe for the event itself and some of the products we've been discussing, along with various comments. Now, please remember, there are literally hundreds of podcasts on the Outdoor Station website, in iTunes, as well as through the various RSS feed readers, all covering numerous aspects of self-powered travel. And there's almost 400 available, all of course free of charge. So plenty to keep your MP3 player topped up, and we will do our best to keep you entertained and informed as time goes by. So until next time, folks, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon and bye for now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To hear or see more from our extensive free library, please visit theoutdoorstation.co.uk. Auf Wiedersehen und vielen Dank für den Besuch bei der Outdoor Show in Friedrichshafen.